Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. I hope everybody's excited for the upcoming season. We're almost there. Week zero right around the corner and week one only a few days after that. Um, we're going to be re- looking forward to the entire 2022 college football season in this part one of our two-part uh, preview. There's a lot to get to, so I had to break it up a little bit. So we're going to be talking about mostly the conferences, looking at all the big players for the v- divisions and conference contenders, and then a little playoff prediction at the end of the episode, as well as a week zero preview. Uh, just a reminder, we have the Hummus Tailgate Party Pick'em on ESPN.com. It's on their college football Pick'em little fantasy tab. If you download the fantasy app for fantasy football, you can find it on there or joining on the desktop is probably the easiest way to do it. It is called 2022 Hummus Tailgate Party Pick'em. The group password is Hummus. And every week we'll just pick a few games against the spread and whoever has a the best overall uh, win and loss record at the end of the season will get a fun prize from yours truly. As always, this is free to enter and there's a prize, so you may as well sign up to play. This contest starts week one, not week zero, so you still have about a week and a half to join it, but you'll have to have your picks in before the first game kicks off on next Saturday morning. So sit back and enjoy. All right, we'll start with the ACC going through the conferences and divisions and teams alphabetically here for the most part. Um, In the Atlantic division of the ACC, this has been the one that Clemson has been basically dominating the past several years, except for last year. Uh, Clemson is one of the more interesting teams to look forward to this season. Last year was the first time they hadn't made the playoffs since 2014. Uh, they get a lot back on defense. They get DJ Ungulele back on offense, but he was a big problem last year. Their lack of transfer portal recruiting kind of bit them in the rear and uh, they just had their first nine and three non-double-digit season in quite some time. Um, this is a big year to bounce back for them if they have another nine and three season. Not that that's bad on most people's standards, but on Clemson's standards of the past almost decade, it's definitely uh, pretty far subpar. So this is a really big year because if they have another nine, you know, even 10 wins, maybe with the bowl game uh, season, then they could be just slipping into a new era for them. And I know that Dabo isn't ready to do that. I've gone back and forth on a lot of what I think about Clemson this upcoming season. Uh, Their offense was just really, really atrocious last year. Their defense is going to be what holds them down this year, regardless of how DJ plays. Um, but they have to adjust to their new defensive coordinator for the first time in forever since Brett Venables departed finally for Oklahoma. Uh, They also lost their offensive coordinator to Virginia, so Dabo's having to deal with a lot of discontinuity, which is something that he's really benefited from over the past many seasons, not having to deal with a lot of that as other big programs with similar levels of success have. So we'll see how they adjust and adapt. I definitely lean, I mean, mostly just because of their defense alone, I kind of lean towards giving them the benefit of the doubt until they prove to us that they really have entered into a new lesser than era 
for Clemson football. Um, so I think they're still going to have a really strong year. The ACC is not very good. Um, there's a couple pretty interesting teams, but compared to, you know, SEC and Big Ten and everything, they don't have too much to deal with. So I think Clemson will get it back together, probably win 11 games, maybe slip up in one, but definitely be in a, in a good position uh, going into the December in the postseason. NC State, uh, a lot of people have them as being kind of a sneaky underdog, a little dark long shot, dark horse pick to win the ACC Atlantic. They bring back a ton of players. They have a great established coaching staff. They lost a couple super close games last year, so I think they'll have a good chip on their shoulder to finish everything out a little bit better this year. Of course, they beat Clemson. Um, That was the first loss that Clemson got handed, and they'll play again in Tiger Stadium this year. So that should be a great game, probably the biggest one all year in the ACC regular season. They've got a lot of COVID super seniors. Devin Leary, their quarterback, is super experienced, and he's very talented. They returned 17 starters in all. Good line, good coach. Um, I think the Wolfpack are going to have a really good year. And especially if Clemson has QB struggles, then NC State has a really good shot at challenging Clemson for the Atlantic division. Uh, A couple others just quickly to touch on in this division. Florida State, I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to on the level of Clemson and uh, NC State, but I think they're just an interesting team to look at because of how bad that program's been the past couple years. It looks like they're getting the ship turned in the right direction. They finished last year. They lost their first four games to start 0-4, but then they finished winning five of their last eight. So they have some good momentum coming into this year, even though last year was their fourth straight losing season, which is just hard to wrap your head around after they've been good for the entire rest of my life. Not just good, but great most of the time. But I think they've got some good transfers coming in, a solid defense. They do have a tough schedule. They open up with LSU in New Orleans on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. It's going to be a struggle for them, but I definitely expect them to get it moving in the right direction and go bowling for the first time in five years. Lastly, in the Atlantic, Wake Forest would have been a really interesting player in this divisional race. They were great last year, had one of the best offenses in the country. Unfortunately, it was recently announced that Sam Hartman, their starting quarterback, is out indefinitely. Their coach says that he will be back at some point this year, but that's uncertain. So I really didn't do too much more into Wake Forest because there just aren't any details in that. So hopefully he's okay and can get back. Uh, to leading the Demon Deacons at some point this year because with him, they turn into a pretty dangerous squad. So my pick to win the Atlantic is Clemson. Like I said, I just feel obligated to give them the benefit of the doubt until they prove me wrong a couple years in a row. But NC State is going to be really interesting to watch in that NC State versus Clemson game, which is on October 1st in Death Valley, will be a really, really fun one to watch. Now we go to the ACC Coastal. This was one of the harder divisions to dissect um, across the whole country for me. The three big players that I kind of went into are Miami, North Carolina, and Pitt. Uh, Miami, they have the new coaching staff with Mario Cristobal and his crew coming from Oregon. Um, you know, they've been had some high expectations the past few years. 
and have never really been able to live up to it. Um, they have a lot of transfers in, so there's just a lot of new faces all over the program here. They have a good line, good running backs. Their quarterback, Van Dyke, is really talented, and he's got great weapons around him. So I think their offense is going to be good. I think the defense will be good enough to be at the top, you know, the top few teams in the ACC. Um, but it's just it's hard to say with everything being so fresh and so new. Um, they got, I didn't know this, Kevin Steele as their defensive coordinator who was at Auburn a couple years ago. Um, North Carolina has Gene Chizik as their defensive coordinator under Mac Brown, the head coach. Um, they were possibly the most disappointing team in the country last year, maybe them in Iowa State. I was super high on, and they both just laid giant eggs. Um, they've been recruiting really well the past few years, but the the success just hasn't translated to on-the-field results. They've lost a lot of talent over the last couple, two or three seasons with several NFL running backs. Uh, the Broncos got one of them in last year's draft, leaving UNC and, of course, most recently, their big gun quarterback, Sam Howell, uh, got drafted to the NFL after a pretty disappointing season for him. So their defense has been really awful. Chiswick is going to try to turn it around. And this feels like a good time to buy low on them. I'm still just a little scared off because of how atrocious last year was. <laughs> Pittsburgh, uh, they open with West Virginia in the backyard brawl, uh, those old Big East fans out there will remember that one. It's cool to see that rivalry get revived. And that's like the the first Thursday night of Labor Day weekend. So that'll be a really fun one to watch to get the weekend kind of kicked off there. And then they play Tennessee um, at home as well in week two. So really big opening to the season for Pitt. They got Keaton Slovis from USC, uh, their quarterback, to fill in after Kenny Pickett got drafted by the Steelers. They return a good bit despite losing some really impressive top-end talent from last year. Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikoff winner, uh, traded places with Slovis, and he went to USC on Lincoln Riley's squad now. So I think that Pittsburgh is going to regress some, but should still be a really talented, physical, and competitive team. After talking about these three teams, I still don't really know, but I'm going to go with Miami because of the quarterback and the talent all around the offense. And I've always had a lot of respect for Kevin Steele as a defensive coordinator. So I think him and Chris Ball will be able to get that thing going in the right direction, even if they're not in the national playoff hunt this year. I think they'll be able to win that division where everyone is dealing with a lot of turnover. So my pick in the Coastal is Miami, and then I'll take Clemson over Miami in the ACC championship. Moving right along to the Big Ten East. First, we have the Michigan Wolverines coming off their biggest season in decades, finally beating Ohio State, finally making the playoff, even though they weren't competitive there against Georgia. Just beating Ohio State alone, winning the division, winning the Big Ten was a massive step that Harbaugh desperately needed to take. So they lost their couple of stud defensive linemen from last year that were really the cornerstone of that team. They lost both coordinators as well, but they still have a lot of talent because they've been recruiting well and they still get a lot back. They're going to have a better passing game this year, but the defense will be a bit of a work in progress early on. So I don't think they're going to have the same success as they did last year, but they're still going to be good enough to make this division, you know, a race uh, into October and November, I believe. 
Michigan State is due for quite a bit of regression as well. They have a lot of instability with turnover from their roster because they got so many kids last year out of the transfer portal that only had one year of eligibility left. But still a good enough defense under Mel Tucker to keep them competitive in the Big Ten. So I think after losing Kenneth Walker, he was such a rock of that team. So impressive uh, down the stretch, especially when Michigan State was really turning it on. Um, I think I think they'll be a, probably have a pretty similar nine-ish win season as Michigan will. They're both going to have to deal with Ohio State, who is absolutely stacked and going to wreck everyone's shit this year. They've got a new defensive coordinator because their defense really slipped, and that's what led to them getting their ass handed to them by Michigan in the game back in November. So I think it sounds like they have a whole new philosophy on defense. It's going to be much more hard-nosed, physical. They get C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith. I'm not sure how to say his double name back. They're both in the Heisman talks. That's probably the best just one-two passer wide receiver duo in the country. Um, And I think this is absolutely Ohio State's division and conference to lose. Uh, Lastly, we have Penn State, who always keeps things a little bit interesting. Um, They are improving on the line and in their backfield, which should help them take a step forward from a disappointing 7-6 and season. Clifford is back for his senior year, so I think the offense should finally come together a little bit more. It's been kind of ugly the past couple years. There was some chit-chat over the offseason about Penn State's really talented freshman quarterback recruit getting some playing time this year, but I think now that we're getting closer to the season, it sounds like Sean Clifford's going to be the guy, and they'll hope that he can finish strong in his senior year. So in the East, I think Ohio State wins it pretty convincingly. Um, I don't see them losing any games in the regular season, and I think their biggest competition, you know, when they play Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, those games are always tough. It's a really talented division year in and year out. But I think that those teams will be more in the 8, 9, maybe upside of 10 range, whereas Ohio State's downside is like 11 games in the regular season. So I think they should win the East pretty easy. The Big Ten West was undoubtedly the hardest division uh, I had to pick in college football. There are five different teams that I think have a pretty decent shot at winning this, and it really wouldn't be far-fetched at all. So it's hard to go through them. The Iowa Hawkeyes, I think they're going to regress from last year as well. If you remember, they got all the way up to number two or three in the college football playoff polls after Alabama lost to A&M and a couple other things happened. And they just had unbelievable, I say I don't want luck to sound bad, but they had unbelievable turnover luck in close games last year. Generally, when you are well-disciplined and play great defense like Iowa does, you have better turnover luck, um, but they it was their margins were pretty unbelievable. I think they had like five turnovers in that game against Maryland, um, but just like every other Iowa team, they're going to have a very good defense and a subpar, pretty boring offense, and that's about all there is to say there. <laughs> Minnesota, they are going to be, I'm kind of high on them as a sneaky good team this year. 
Um, they are going to be really stable on both sides of the ball. They have a lot returning. And it's been a couple years since they had a pretty impressive season. But I think that this year is shaking out kind of nicely with how they stack up versus everyone else in the conference because they just have a lot of experience both ways. And it sounds sounds pretty promising from everything I've read for the Gophas. Nebraska, uh, for sure the most intriguing team on a national scale in this division. Frost is on his last leg. We're going to talk about him later. Don't worry. And uh, so he brought in a lot of new coaches. He's been calling the plays for Nebraska, and he finally hired an offensive coordinator who's going to take over the play calling himself so Frost can deal with a little bit more of the managerial aspects of being a head coach, which I think is always a good call when you've been struggling as much as he has over the past few years. Um, Both of their lines have gaps to fill and questions to answer, so that's never a great place to start. Their defense should be pretty solid with some transfers coming in. Um, I mean, if they just stop beating themselves, then they have the talent to go bowling and possibly get, you know, a couple more than six wins this year. Last year, it was truly unbelievable how bad luck they had. They had eight losses by a score or more, and their ninth loss was by nine points to Ohio State, which was a very close game for an overall record of three and nine. So it was a, probably the best three and nine team of all time. It was a very, very, very bizarre season. Um, but I mean, they, they're just, they have to have at least a few games fall in their favor this year. And if they have another similar depressing season like last year, then I, I, I don't know. They might be doomed for all eternity at this point. Uh, but they open up week zero. We'll talk about that a little bit later too, but we'll get to see them pretty much stand alone on the national spotlight against Northwestern in Dublin. Purdue, they could still compete for this division, um, which they've never really done as far as I know at least. Their offense is going to be pretty good, and they get a lot back on defense, so I think they're going to be well-rounded enough to give some teams some problems. I don't really trust that they have the overall talent to make it to the top of the Big Ten West, but I think that they will definitely be a player in the game. Finally, Wisconsin, they are the favorites to win the division this year. They've had the best three-year span of recruiting in school history, um, and they've got Pretty good talent at all positions across the board ready to play now. They did lose a lot of experience from last year, but they just had a lot of talented guys in the system for a year or two now, so they should be able to plug and play without many issues. I think they go as far as Graham Mertz, the quarterback, takes them. He had a lot of hype coming out of high school and when he played one or two big standout games in 2020, um, but he just struggled really, really bad last year and doesn't have the best skill position help at wide receiver or tight end. Um, You know, Wisconsin's always got the amazing running backs, but they have a little bit harder time getting that same level of talent on the outside. So if he can figure it out this year, Wisconsin should definitely win the division after betting on them and riding them so many times last year. And he would throw two turnovers and have two red zone fumbles. I can't trust them enough to pick Wisconsin to win, so I'm going to go on a limb a little bit with this one and pick the Minnesota Golden Gophers to win the Big Ten West. But like I said, it should be a really interesting battle between these five teams to see who gets the honor of losing to Ohio State and Indianapolis when it's all said and done. So that's it for the Big Ten, Ohio State over Minnesota. 
On to the Big 12 now. Uh, as a reminder, the Big 12 does not do divisions, so it's just a 1 through 12 table of whoever has the best record. They don't split it up in half like most of the other conferences do. The Pac-12 also just this year moved away from the North-South division system and is now copying the Big 12 and just doing it 1 through 12. So... It's just the two best teams will go and play in Jerry World at the end of the season. Baylor, who won the Big 12 last year, is primed for another big season. Uh, they won the Big 12 and beat Ole Miss. They hobbled Ole Miss, but they still won the game in the Sugar Bowl. Um, they are well-rounded on both sides of the ball. They have really good lines. They need some young skill guys to show up and step up in the wide receiver and running back realm, but I think that they recruit well enough under Aranda to do so. They do have a really tough schedule, especially with road games, playing at BYU, at West Virginia, at Oklahoma, and at Texas. So I think Baylor has the experience and the wherewithal to handle this schedule well, but I don't think that they're going to be going undefeated by any means. So the the toughness of the schedule might keep them from being a playoff contingent team deep into the season, but I think that they're 100% capable of still winning the division or the conference. Kansas State, uh, this is a pretty popular dark horse sleeper team to make some noise on a national scale. Their running back, Deuce Vaughn, is one of the best athletes in the entire country. He's incredible with the ball in his hands. Uh, They have Adrian Martinez at quarterback now that was previously at Nebraska. Uh, They've got a well-established system, good coaching staff, and I think that they're ready to make a jump in a Big 12 that is more or less up for the taking. We don't have like a super dominant Oklahoma team. Uh, anyone that's just a, a sheer lock to win the division and be in the playoff race like we do a lot of years. So with Oklahoma down, Texas figuring things out, um, I think this is a year where a team like Kansas State, you could see kind of a different type of name in the Big 12 title game. So if they can just keep it together and stay healthy, then they're absolutely good enough to be kind of frisky on the national scale. Speaking of the Sooners, This is going to be a really fascinating year for them. They had so much turnover, so many new people coming through the portal, so many people leaving through the portal. Both of their quarterbacks, after their bizarre season last year, have now left to the two different USC schools in the country. They have UCF's quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, now leading the charge of the Sooner offense. Gabriel is super talented and he's got a hell of an arm and if he can stay healthy then I think he will be an absolutely lethal quarterback in Oklahoma's offense however he's always battled injuries as he's hopped around to different schools his whole career so I really hope for him that this will be the final stop that he needs to make a good resume uh, addition to his resume to go to the pros because if he stays healthy he's absolutely got the talent to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country their offense even though they have a lot of these new pieces they'll be pretty good pretty quick the defense lost a lot from last year that was part of the reason why Oklahoma's season was so disappointing last year even though they weren't a train wreck as far as their record goes their defense for once was extremely experienced and talented and they really didn't take advantage of that uh, especially with the weird talent situations at, at quarterback but 
Oklahoma, I think it's probably a year or two too soon with all the changes they're having to make, but they're still going to be a good team by most people's standards, even though Oklahoma fans probably won't be too thrilled at the end of the season. You know, it's 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 a transition year, and they're not going to win six games. It'll probably be another nine or ten win sooner squad. Oklahoma State, they are going to be very good again. They made it to the Big 12 championship last year and lost an absolute heartbreaker to Baylor. Their offense returns a lot, including their senior quarterback, Spencer Sanders. Their defense has to replace a good bit, but they recruit well, and over the years they've proved they've sneakily been one of the most consistent teams in the country, uh, so they can obviously reload and replace whatever they lose. They worked the portal really well this offseason, and I think if their defense can just come around and be decent, uh, we all know the Big 12 isn't exactly known for their defenses or anything, but Oklahoma State has been an exception to that over the past many, many years of the Gundy tenure. I think the offense will be good with a decent defense to compete uh, for the Big, way- Big 12 in a very competitive way. Texas, of course, they were one of the big big stories of the offseason. They have a top five recruiting class coming in this year with a lot of help coming to their offensive and defensive line and five-star quarterback, the number one quarterback of the 2021 class, Quinn Ewers, transferring to Austin from Ohio State last year. Uh, they also hired Gary Patterson from TCU as a special assistant to help Sark out. Uh, a third of their roster turned over from either transferring out or graduating. So it's a lot of new faces, a lot of talent coming in, uh, but a lot of these kids are just going to be young. So, you know, I think that they are likely going to start slow. They play Bama week two, and that's just going to be a lot to handle for some of their really talented young athletes. Um, And then I think they'll come on better down the stretch. So I think Texas fans might be a little disappointed. Everyone's sick and tired of waiting around. I get it, but I think people are just going to have to be patient. And even though it might not be a playoff contending type of year, they could come on down the stretch and make an interesting late push to get one of those two spots in the big 12 championship. I think they're a year or two away, but they have the sheer talent where it'll be interesting to see if it really clicks in October, November. Um, I forgot to mention, I mean, their offense is just stacked. They got uh, Quinn Ewers, of course, who this will be his first time playing in college. So, you know, we'll see how quickly it'll come to him. But they have Bijan Robinson, uh, who is probably maybe the best running back in the country. Um, Him and Jamar Gibbs, the new Alabama running back that transferred from Texas or Georgia Tech. Um, are the two top Heisman favorite running backs, even though it's unlikely either one will win. They have that type of talent, so that'll be a great RB versus RB matchup in Austin Week 2. The line is very good. The receivers are talented. They have a couple Alabama transfers. We'll get into more of that when we're previewing the game itself. But, uh, yeah, Texas will be fascinating. I think they're a year or two away from winning the Big 12 and competing for a national you know, New Year's Six or playoff spot, but I think they'll... Start slow and come on strong. Lastly, West Virginia. I don't think they're quite on the caliber of the rest of these teams. I just like them a lot, so I'm going to talk about them. (laughs) JT Daniels, who transferred from USC to Georgia, is now in Morgantown, West Virginia, leading the charge for the Mountaineers. He's had a really 
strange career. Uh, he came out having all the talent in the world and was expected to be a big wig at USC, transferred to Georgia, thought he would win this job over Stetson, dealt with injuries, never got the job back. And now he's in Morgantown. So I'm really rooting the guy for the guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Dylan Gabriel with how much he's just bopped around and dealt with injuries. And if you've seen his mustache and mullet looking flow, he just looks like a great fit for West Virginia. The Mountaineers have a very good defense. They're solid on both lines, really good weapons at wide receivers for JT. So even though they're not considered to be at the top of the Big 12 pack, like most of the rest of the teams that I mentioned, I think that they're going to be a really frisky team to look out for. I don't know that they'll beat Pittsburgh week one. And I mean, that would be a huge jumpstart to the season. But um, regardless of what happens in the revitalized backyard brawl, I think the Mountaineers are, their win total is only five and a half. Go ahead and hit the over on that. I tweeted out some of my like preseason best bets for win total over-unders and a couple of conference futures. Um, if you want to see that on the Twitter page and I'll repost it again, probably as we get closer to the season, but love the West Virginia over five and a half. I think that they're going to be a really fun team to watch, especially later in the season as this offense really clicks because it has a ton of potential. And I think West Virginia is just one of those teams where when they're good, it's just good for college football. So rooting for the Mountaineers, but I don't think they'll quite be good enough to make it to the big 12. I've got Baylor beating Oklahoma State again in a rematch from last year. I think Texas, Oklahoma, just too much turnover, too many questions, and I don't think Kansas State quite has the talent to keep up with the Bears or the Cowboys. So Baylor Bears beating Oklahoma State, if they can handle their road games, then they can definitely be in the college football playoff conversation uh, come November and December. Moving along to the Pac-12, again, they do not have divisions either. This is brand new this year because they used to have the North and the South, but they just switched away from that. So, uh, well, I divided these up for like North and South because um, I didn't know that until I was reminded right before this episode, but we'll start with the Oregon Ducks. Their defense should be pretty stacked. Of course, they just lost Mario Cristobal uh, to Miami, and they hired Dan Lanning, who was the defensive coordinator at Georgia for that historically good defense last year. They have a lot of questions on offense with Bo Nix transferring from Auburn, one of the more surprising moves in the transfer portal this year, but could be a fresh start that Nix has kind of needed for a little while now after a weird situation on the Plains for his whole career. Um, I think that he's, you know, I mean, we've all seen his upsides he just has always struggled with consistency and everything granted I don't think his systems at Auburn did him, did him any favors but it'll be interesting to see how he does in a fresh environment um, I think that you know with the defense and with just the sheer talent of Knicks and the other athletes that they always have at skill position there at Oregon they should be good enough to make a pretty strong bid to have one of those top two spots in the Pac-12 title game their cross-state rivals, the Oregon State Beavers, have a lot of good momentum from last year. Their defense is going to be really good, and their offense is going to be better than normal. They've been quietly putting together a pretty good program the past few years, and I think this year, while they're not going to be competitive on a national scale, they are going to keep things interesting in the Pac-12 and probably upset a team or two that just looking at the names, the brand names, you might not expect 
Oregon State to beat USC, but when USC has to play there in Corvallis, Oregon, probably in the fog at nighttime week four, I would not not be betting on the Trojans in that one. Uh, speaking of the Trojans, I mean, probably made the most noise of any team in the country over the offseason with Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for Southern Cal. Um, their roster has probably changed more than any team in college football history from one season to the next after all the guys and the big names that he was able to bring with them from Oklahoma and elsewhere around the country recruit to be part of this, you know, <laughs> this Trojan dream to get USC back where it was when we were all kids growing up and everything. Um, Caleb Williams, like I said, the quarterback from Oklahoma who ended up taking the job from Spencer Rattler and then ended up being kind of disappointing when you looked at, back at the whole season, will be USC starting quarterback. Uh, Jordan Addison, who I mentioned, the Bolitnikoff winner from Pittsburgh, transferred to SC as well. So that's going to be one of the more just on paper talented quarterback to wide receiver duos in the country. However, USC went four and eight last year. That's why they have a new coach. And I think while they have a lot of talent on paper, um, a lot like, you know, Miami and some of these other teams with big new coaches, it's just hard for me to truly buy in in year one. I think give it two more seasons and it could be a very quick turnaround from four and eight to a very serious playoff contender, but I'm not ready to go all in on them this year, although they're going to be surely talented enough to do really well in a pretty damn soft Pac-12. The team who I'm the highest on in the Pac-12. Oh, I will mention that USC is the betting favorite to win the conference. So even though I'm saying all that, Vegas thinks otherwise. <laughs> Utah is my favorite team in the Pac-12. I was really big on them last year. They had some quarterback troubles early in the season, which prevented them from ever truly being in the playoff discussion, although they got a Rose Bowl bid and lost a heartbreaker to Ohio State where both teams were just dealing with a lot of opt-outs and injuries, and it was a weird but extremely entertaining game. Um, I played there over eight and a half. I think that, I mean, if that doesn't hit, then I will quit the podcast. I do not see how they do any worse than nine and three. And even I would be disappointed in a nine and three season. Cause I'm really thinking that they have a great shot at going beyond the pac 12 to the college football playoff this year. Um, they are led by their quarterback, Cam rising who had some injuries at the beginning of last season. He did not get the starting job because this brewer quarterback transferred in from Baylor. That kid ended up being a train wreck, quit the team after a few weeks. And then cam rising took Utah to their highest potential. Unfortunately, he got hurt in the Rose bowl, which is why Utah didn't beat Ohio state in that game. But he's there this year. Fingers crossed he stays healthy because if they do, their offense is going to be very good. They play a very, very physical game of football. And their defense, they did lose a good bit from last year, but they're always good enough in Kyle Whittingham's system to be competitive, uh, at the very least in the Pac-12. I mean, they really play a lot like an, a physical SEC team, and that gives a lot of those West Coast teams, even the ones like Oregon last year under Cristobal, who think they're kind of tough and physical, you talk and hit you in the mouth and shut you up in the first quarter, then it's just going to be a long, long night after that. So 
hit that over eight and a half. I really, really love that one. And they're going to be one of the best teams in the Pac-12, if not the country. Lastly, Washington, I don't think they're going to be super competitive in the conference. It's just more of an interesting situation I wanted to hit on because they were such a disappointing train wreck last season. They have a new coaching regime. They have 41 players on this team (laughs) via just people that stuck around for the new staff and hitting the transfer portal very hard. They have 41 players who have either started a game at Washington or elsewhere. So lots of new faces, but lots of experience. The biggest name of those being Michael Penix from Indiana, who had a great season two years ago, but last year the Hoosiers were really, really disappointing. The offense should click pretty quickly. The defense is going to take some work. So I think Washington will be in the top half of the Pac-12, but I don't think they're really going to compete for the title game there. But it should be a much-needed step in the right direction for the Huskies program that really, really uh, dropped the ball last year. So that's it for the Pac-12. I've got Utah beating Oregon in the championship game. Last and obviously not least, the Southeastern Conference. We'll start with the East, Florida. uh, Another team with a lot of changes this year. They have Billy Napier taking over as head coach. He has, they just released their team picture today where they get all the players and coaches to line up in the bleachers or whatever and take their snapshot before the season starts. And they had, I think, 112 players on the roster and 140 coaches and people on the staff. So Billy Napier has gone all in with getting himself some help. Florida has invested a lot recently into this program with the brand spanking new practice facility and uh, locker room and all that jazz. So they've got all the bells and whistles. They've got more coaches than anybody can count. However, I don't know how great of a roster they have. Um, They've got huge defensive problems to solve that are transferring over from last year. They're really disappointed there. Anthony Richardson is coming back. He only started one game last year, but showed flashes of serious potential. He just dealt with injuries through a lot of the season. So I think Florida is going to be okay. They might be able to pull an upset against a team who I assume will be favored uh, in like a Tennessee or a Georgia. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world, but I think Florida is still a year or two away before Napier can really get that thing rolling because I think he will, you know, when he has some time to get some more recruits and a system established. The Georgia Bulldogs defending SEC, or not SEC, only national champions. Um, yeah, they obviously lost a ton on defense, uh, but they are – I mean, they're just at the point now where Kirby's been there long enough to where it's a lot like Alabama or Ohio State. Even when you lose, you know, whatever it was, five or six first rounders from the same side of the ball, that obvious, obviously you're going to take a step back from a historically good defense like that. But then you look at the guys that are replacing them and it's like all five stars. So the defense won't be what it was last year, but by anybody's standards on earth, it's still going to be very good. Uh, they're getting a lot of their talent back on offense. Uh, Stetson Bennett is returning for one last season. They have those two stud tight ends that are both coming back. Bennett's going to have a little bit more pressure on him this year because he's not going to be able to rely on his defense giving up seven points and considering that like a bad performance on the D's part this year. You know, there's going to be a game or two where they're just surely going to let up 
a little bit and look human. Not saying they're going to get routed at all, but that's just, you know, how it goes when you lose that much star power. Um, so Bennett might get put in the position where he has to push the ball downfield and be aggressive in the second quarter, which really all last season, at least in the regular season, he didn't. However, we saw him finally make that jump in the second half of the national championship game. So we know he's capable of doing it. Um, not that Alabama's defense was amazing or anything, but it's still better than most of the teams that they were, they would have played last year. So, you know, I, it's looking at Georgia's schedule with the East not being very good. Um, I, it's hard for me to pick out any one game that they lost that they would lose this year. It wouldn't shock me if they got slipped up somewhere um, and finished eleven and one on top of the East. They do play Oregon um, opening weekend, even though it's in Atlanta, so it's going to be like a home game for Georgia. But yeah, I mean, even if they lose one game, I imagine they're going to win the East with you know pretty much pretty easily. And I will say it'll be interesting to see the – we'll get to Tennessee here in a second, but it's I think Tennessee could be their most uh, competitive SEC matchup this year if Tennessee lives up to the hype. That game is not until November 5th, same day as Bama LSU, so we'll have to wait a while to get to that. But if Tennessee has a good year, then that could have some serious hype around it. That could be a great game day. That I'll be watching on my phone at Stephen Owen's wedding. So thanks a lot, Steve. South Carolina, they get Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. They get a lot back from last year where they were a little better than most people probably would have thought. They went bowling and upset North Carolina in the none other than the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Um, they're, I think, going to be kind of a sneaky, decent team with a little bit of fun upside this year. Um, their lines aren't going to be too great, so it's hard to see them doing too much in the SEC East. But I could see them getting to seven wins maybe this season, which with their schedule would be really impressive. So I think Shane Beamer is going to do a really good job at South Carolina. And even though they may have a way lower ceiling than a team like Georgia or Florida or even Tennessee, you know, when the, whenever they can figure things out uh, for the long haul, I think South Carolina is the type of team that could pull a pull an upset or two and be pretty fun this year. So I'll be rooting for the Cox to keep keep the train on the on the train tracks. Tennessee to round out the East. They have a ton of hype going into the season. Um, their offense should live up to it. The defense will probably be pretty average, but I think other than probably a couple games this year, their offense will be able to just carry them if they stay healthy, even if the defense doesn't have a great day. They look pretty primed to finish in second place in the East. I just don't think that they have the type of talent or production in Knoxville quite yet to truly challenge the, the Bulldogs, even if they play a great game against Georgia. Um, where is that game? Let's see. Uh, it's in Athens. But even if they play a good game against Georgia, it's hard to see them beating them overall in the East this year. But, you know, if Tennessee could pull off a 9-3 and three type season, then I think most people would be pretty happy considering this is only uh, year two of the Josh Heupel tenure. So they, you know, I mean, 
with everything they've been through, and we'll probably get Alex Allen on here as long as Tennessee doesn't crash and burn super quick to talk about them if they're doing pretty good halfway through the season or whatever. But, um, you know, if, if Tennessee just beats the people they're favored to beat this year, which, you know, I know it's easier said than done, then, I mean, they could have a very successful season, be playing in a pretty good bowl game, and be feeling good going into year three of Hypel. So now our last division. Oh, yeah, was it? So Georgia, they're going to win the East. Uh, the last division we will touch on is the SEC West, led by the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, Saban, you know, it's been interesting kind of seeing his comments to the media last year versus this year. Last year, a lot of Bama fans were more unhappy than he was for the first time probably ever. Because after wins where we would kind of squeak by or almost blow the game to Florida, Nick Saban was just talking about how proud he was of the team. And it seemed a little odd, but I think he knew we didn't have as much talent as we normally do. So the fact that that team made it to the national championship game and won the SEC, they truly did overachieve. Um, I didn't even have, I didn't even pick Alabama to make the playoff last year. Cause I just, I thought that there was just too much turnover and obviously, you know, it was pretty, uh, pretty close to not happening at several points there late in the season. But this year, Saban seems to be really pleased with the team and he's said some things like they're a lot of fun to watch. Last year was a rebuilding year. So I think this Alabama team, there have been few years Really none that I can remember having more confidence going into the season than this. We've got the two best players in the country coming back in Bryce Young and Will Anderson, who will be battling it out for the Heisman Trophy. The receivers do have a good bit to prove. Um, I mean, that's why we didn't win the national championship last year is because when our couple of studs got hurt, the young receivers, unlike in previous years, were just really not ready to step up, and they could not rise to the occasion. Obviously, a tough task against that Georgia defense, but still um, pretty disappointing outing from some of the young guys there late in the season when they had to step in in big moments. But they've had a whole offseason to work on it and think about it. A couple of them are gone and on Texas. And... Um, so I think the receivers, you know, they're not going to be what we've seen out of Alabama the past few years. We do have Jameer Gibbs from Virginia, or not Virginia, Georgia Tech, and he's getting hyped up like he's the second coming of Marshall Falk or something in this offseason. He's high up there on the Heisman leaderboards as well for the preseason odds. And the defense, I think we're going to see a pretty vintage Alabama defense. We have big-time leadership and talent returning at all three levels. Um, Alabama has the best kicker probably in school history returning, finally. (laughs) And uh, the best coach in the world just got extended to 2030. So I think it's all clicking for the tide. Um, Otherwise, in the SEC West, if you can't tell who I'm already going to pick already, there's a couple other interesting teams to touch on. LSU with Brian Kelly. There's just so many. I know I went over it last episode, but there's so many big name coaches in new places this year and big name programs. It's it's going to be really fascinating to watch. Brian Kelly getting on with the Tiger family. And I mean, they they haven't been good the last couple years, but they still have almost as much talent as anybody in the country because they even in a bad year, they're still pulling in recruiting classes that most people would kill for. So Miles Brennan, 
their quarterback, who this would have been his sixth year there, just quit after it was clear that Jaden Daniels uh, from Arizona State or Garrett Newsmeyer, whose dad, Doug, was the offensive coordinator at Alabama back in the day, I believe 2012 range, uh, would win the quarterback battle over Brennan. It was pretty sad because he was thinking about transferring uh, way earlier this spring or even this winter. And Kelly told him, no, no, stick around. And I think kind of, you know, led him on a little bit. And then it once summer and fall got around, I think it became probably pretty clear to Brennan that he wasn't going to win the job. And he's been backing up at LSU for five seasons now. So he just wanted to get on with his life. I don't blame the guy. Uh, it's a bummer of a situation, but they've got a couple pretty talented guys that are going to play quarterback there. So Jaden Daniels is more of a more of a dual threat, whereas Noose Meyer is going to be a more traditional pocket passer. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Daniels start off the season, um, but then maybe they have a quarterback switch when the freshman gets a little bit more experience under his belt in practice. They have a huge amount of turnover. They did lose a lot of guys in the transfer portal. For once in my lifetime, they don't have a very good secondary, at least on paper. Alabama poached Eli Ricks, the cornerback from there, which we're thrilled to have in Tuscaloosa. Um, but, they, you know, they still have a lot of talent. They have a great coaching staff. It's just a transition year, and I think they're going to be good, not great. There's just a lot of range in how this season could go. I think, you know... Their floor is probably six wins playing in the, you know, the, the Independence Bowl. Um, and their ceiling, you know, probably, you know, if everything is, you know, went well for them, probably a 10 and two season to start off Brian Kelly's era there in Baton Rouge. So I don't really know what to think. I think it'll probably be eight and four, give, and t- give or take a game. Mississippi State, um, I think they're going to be really sneaky good this year. <sighs> If the dominoes fall correctly for them, I could even see them coming in second place in the West, although I'd say third is probably something I feel more confident about. Um, They are going to be a really solid team, but they have a brutal schedule. Will Rogers, the quarterback, is back for his third year, and I won't go into into the weeds here, but there's all sorts of stats about how quarterbacks that are in their third year in Mike Leach's system just explode and go crazy. They have eight starters back on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, even with, even with the hard schedule, I can see them winning nine games possibly this year. Um, they, I mean, they play Bama and Georgia. So, I mean, I guess that's an assumed immediate 10 games max, maybe eight and four is more realistic. Um, but I think state is just, they've got the experience and the system well enough established now to where I think that they're going to beat all the teams that they're going to be favored to beat. They might not be able to pull off an upset against a big dog like Bama or the dogs, but I think everybody else in the SEC is probably going to have some serious troubles with state. Lastly, Texas A&M, um, <laughs> another huge story on the offseason. Um, they had the number one recruiting class coming into the season. Of course, the whole Saban-Jimbo thing, I'm not getting into that. We talked about that last episode. I think that they're going to be good, not great. They still have quite a bit of range, I think, although probably a, a higher floor than LSU. I think they're still like a year away from truly contending for the SEC because – 
even though they're one of the most talented teams in the country, this number one recruiting class they're bringing in, they're all freshmen. So they got Max Johnson, the quarterback transfer from LSU in College Station now, and they have Haynes King, who played the first game and a half-ish last year, who had a lot of hype going into the season, but got hurt in the Colorado game right down the street from me in Mile High Stadium. Um, so they're going to be duking it out. I have not heard yet who's winning that quarterback battle, but I think they're two pretty good options no matter who they end up with. Um, so I think A&M is a year away, but they've got the sheer talent to beat anybody in the country. So we'll see how consistent they can keep it over the course of the season. That's been their problem for the past many years is they'll have a really good season, but then when they play Alabama, they'll get the doors blown off of them. Or like last year they beat Alabama, but they had like not a good season. So if they can finally put the two together, I don't think they'll beat Bama this year with all of the, you know, extra icing on the cake that goes into that game um, in Tuscaloosa week five or six there. But, um, you know, if they can just if they can at least just be competitive and not get killed like they normally do in that game and then have a really good maybe win 10 of their 11 other games, then that'll be a huge momentum boost going into last season instead of beating Alabama, but then finishing off eight and four or whatever. So A&M will be fascinating. I think it's a little too soon, but this time next year, we'll probably be talking about them having a serious, serious chance to win the West and the SEC and maybe the country. So we'll see. Uh, My pick in the West is obviously Alabama, and I'm going with Alabama over Georgia in the SEC championship. So that wraps up all the Power 5 conferences. I also wanted to hit on like three of the independent teams, uh, or not only independent, but independent slash group of five teams that are going to be nationally relevant players this upcoming season. Notre Dame, obviously starting the year ranked number five in the AP poll. They have the honor of traveling to Columbus and playing Ohio State week one, which I'm sure will be loads of fun. Uh, For Marcus Freeman in his first game as a head coach of the Fighting Irish, you know, they've been sneaky not sneaky but I mean they've been one of the more consistent teams in all of college football the past decade really they just have never been able to win the big game Uh, so I wouldn't be picking their money line to win week one but they're still good enough to make it to 10 wins and you know be kind of knocking on the door of the playoff they play Ohio State, Clemson, North Carolina, and USC, so it's a really tough schedule, although I think that they'll be favored to beat probably UNC and USC. Um, I, don't, I don't know that they beat the Buckeyes or the Tigers, but those games are always interesting and fun, so it's cool to see them kind of splitting across the Big Ten, the Pac, Pac-12, and the ACC. They've got a really good line an unproven quarterback um, in secondary. So there's a good bit of range for how successful their season may be, of course, with the talent and the coaching staff still learning each other. You never really know, but I think Notre Dame will, you know, nine and three, 10 and two, they're still going to be a, a really solid squad this year. Cincinnati, who comes in at number 23 on the AP poll, they're coming off of being the first group of five team to ever make it to the playoff. 
when they played Alabama in the Cotton Bowl last New Year's Eve. They're replacing Desmond Ritter and some other really key pieces like Sauce Gardner of that playoff team, but are still very much a top 25 caliber squad. Uh, ben Bryant is their new quarterback, and he's a senior, so he's been in the system for a long time. And I think a New Year's Six Bowl is totally in their sights for the third straight year. They play at Arkansas week one, which is going to be a pretty awesome matchup. Um, I'm excited for that one. And if they beat the Hogs, then the sky's the limit for the Bearcats because they should be able to handle the rest of their schedule. But beating the Hogs won't be easy. BYU also plays the Hogs this season. Arkansas with a really interesting uh, out-of-conference schedule. Their offense is going to be fantastic. They'll really go as far as the defense takes them which they're not going to be great on, but they do get a lot of starters back, so maybe they can fix some of their problems from last year. They play Oregon, Baylor, Notre Dame, and Arkansas, so another really hard schedule there, but the rest of their games, with them not being in conference, should be pretty manageable. They're going for their third straight uh, 10-win season, so I think that they'll end the year better than number 25, but those are the three teams that are named Cincinnati and BYU that are either independent or group of five that came in in the top 25 preseason. So now for some playoff talk. The playoff games, semifinal games, will be hosted on New Year's Eve this year in Atlanta at the Chick-fil-A Bowl and in Phoenix at the uh, Fiesta, Tostitos, whatever it's called now. I think, and then the national championship will be in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, which I could do a whole podcast on them not playing the game at the Rose Bowl. I'm sure SoFi is beautiful and amazing, but the Rose Bowl is the Rose Bowl is the single best thing about college football. It's actually where I saw my very first college football game when Bama got trounced by UCLA in the 2000 season opener, and then I've been back one time since, the one time Bama has played since, to see the 2009 National Championship against Texas. If only, if only. Um, but So I'm <laughs> bummed out that the, game, the championship game isn't going to be there, because I know some of the bigger college football media people, um, as if anyone's smaller, <laughs> but, um, like Andy Staples and like some of them always say like the championship game should be at the Rose Bowl every single year, which I can't argue against. It's nice that they rotated around. So different people from different parts of the country can more realistically travel to see their teams and stuff every now and then. But it's, uh, it's a bummer we're going to Los Angeles and not playing in the Rose Bowl. Um, as beautiful as Inglewood is. But yeah, so Bama, Ohio State, I think, are the two as close as you can get as locks to make the college football playoff. I would be surprised if either of them lose a game this season, but it's a long year, injuries, you never know. Bama's minus 255 to make it on DraftKings, and Ohio State is minus 265. And they're the only ones that have overwhelming positive odds to make it to the CFP. Next, I'm going to take Georgia, even though, yes, they're going to take a step back from last year. Taking a step back from probably the greatest team in school history isn't always the end of the world. And even though I could see them slipping up in one game, in the SEC schedule, it's not likely that they do, and I think that if they made it to the SEC championship game undefeated against Bama, they could suffer a loss there. 
um, like they did last year and still make it in okay. So the Bulldogs are minus 115. So that's not really a, you know, shocking pick either. After that, then you get into some juicy odds. So the next closest favorite to make it is the USC Trojans at plus 400. Uh, Utah is plus 425. Michigan is plus 450. And Oklahoma is plus 475. So you've got your pretty clear top two, then Georgia right around even, and then those four teams um, kind of in the four to one, five to one range. Then there's another big gap before you get to teams like Texas, which, you know, give me a break at plus 800. Um, Texas A&M plus 700, Notre Dame plus 1,000. You've heard my feelings about all these teams so far. I'm going with Utah as the fourth and final playoff team. The first one since the Pac-12 to make it, since Oregon in the inaugural 2014 playoff where they beat Jameis's FSU team in the Rose Bowl and then lost to Ohio State in the national championship. So it's a little bit scary to put my trust in that conference, but if there's any team I can trust, it's a team that plays like an SEC school, and the Utah Utes are my pick to be the fourth and final uh, playoff team. I think it'll be, you know, who knows how the records shake out. It's hard to pick the seeds. I think Bama, Ohio State will be one and two, and then probably Georgia in the three and Utah in the four. So I see Bama beating Utah and Ohio State beating Georgia to have the final game of the season in SoFi Stadium. If both of these teams can make it to this championship game, you know, I mean, that's always one of the most monster matchups that you can get as far as the brands go in college football history. Um, but it'll, you know, if both of these teams live up to the hype, it'll be one of the more hyped up and competitive national championship games in recent memories. So hopefully we can get that. If not, you know, any of these teams would, uh, make for great stories and everything, but, Shockingly, I have Bama over Ohio State to win the national championship. And if you think I'm a homer, last year I didn't even pick Bama to make it to the playoff. So there's that. Bama on top. So quickly before I wrap it up, we will look at week zero, which is coming up on Saturday. So Nebraska plays Northwestern in Dublin. That just feels like a recipe to get weird and horrible for the Cornhuskers, but they actually have an okay team this year. Northwestern, I think, is really going to struggle. Um, that kicks off at 11 a.m. Central, and Nebraska's a 13-point favorite. Um, most of y'all probably remember Nebraska's Week Zero disaster last year at Illinois. Um, you know, this this is a must-win against this Northwestern team. Illinois was not good either last year, but Nebraska's struggles were already pretty well documented. And the Cornhuskers have to win this, and hopefully in a convincing fashion for Scott for, for Scott Frost and crew. Um, you know, if, if they don't win this game, they might just leave him across the pond, and who would be able to blame them? But I think Nebraska will handle them okay, although you won't catch me betting on them. Uh, Wisc- or Wyoming plays at Illinois at 3 o'clock that afternoon. Um, Illinois is an 11-point favorite. You know, there's really not much to talk about here, so I'm just trying to hit whatever <laughs> Power 5 teams are playing. Uh, Bama fans might be interested. At, also at 3 o'clock, Utah State is hosting UConn, who is maybe the worst team in the entire country. Utah State's a 27-point favorite. Um, in that game so you can see Bama's competition for week one who had a really good season last year they're they're no scrub 
Um, and then the nightcap, which is surely going to get weird. Vandy is an eight point favorite at Hawaii, which kicks off at nine thirty central time. Um, both of those teams are in for really long seasons, but Hawaii is like, again, one of the other worst teams in the country. So Vandy should be able to win that one. Um, but yeah, they, they have a late date on the Island and that about wraps it up for week zero. I'm going to wrap part one up there and we'll get into all of the other season preview topics in part two that I'll have out sometime next week. Um, We're going to be going over Heisman odds, all the coaches that are on the hot seat. Uh, We'll be talking a little bit about the rankings from the AP going into the season. I'll touch a little bit more on some of the future win totals and conference picks and everything that I posted today on Twitter and Instagram. And we'll have a little week one preview on the tail end to get ready for the kickoff of the season.